Well, good morning. My name is Josh Wilson, and uh, as Pastor Blake mentioned, I am the lead pastor of Storyline Church, a partner church with Ninth and O. And I'm going to just out of the gate ask that you would be gracious with me this morning. Um, the Ohio Valley has not been kind to my allergies. And so I woke up this morning with my voice a little funky. And so if I sound like the middle school version of myself at some point throughout this service, I give you permission to laugh with me. Um, And so I will laugh at myself. You are welcome to laugh at me and with me if there is a squeak in my voice. So thank you for your graciousness to me. Um, Hey, a little bit about me. So my wife and I lived in Louisville for about 12 years, and Night to Know has been a blessing to our family. So I served, we moved out here for first seminary, and then I served on staff at a church here in Louisville for about 10 years. Um, And Night to Know was a place that we would come to refuge. So if I was on like a paternity leave or we just had a Sunday off, we would oftentimes come to Night and O. And this has kind of just been a place of refuge for us. And so you've been a blessing to my family. Our connection to Night and O immediately was with Gabriel and Rebecca Heinerman. Pastor Gabriel um, lived underneath us at our apartments in seminary. Um, and so if you, like, you're going to hear, this is exactly Gabriel, all right? So you're going to hear this story. So we, um, we, they moved, we moved in right above them. We took a plate of cookies downstairs to introduce ourselves to them. And so as we knock on the door, the door opens and Pastor Gabriel walks out with a bat in his hand. I'm like, bro, I'm just trying to give you cookies. All right. Like I'm just trying to introduce myself. Um, But if you know, Pastor Gabriel, he was decked out head to toe in his Red Sox gear. All of the furniture in his living room was pushed back and he was doing dry cuts with his bat in his living room. Just waiting for that call. You know, like the Red Sox are going to call. He's got to be ready. He's got to be ready. I'm pretty sure in the kitchen, he had Coca-Cola classic and pizza just ready to go in the kitchen. So, um, man, we love them. Some of our dearest, best friends in the world. So grateful for them. And it is an honor to be here with you this morning, especially on Missions Sunday. And more importantly, even with the theme that we have of holding the rope. So as Pastor Blake mentioned, this is just like a really awesome uh, quote from one of our most beloved missionaries in William Carey. So he, he was alive in the 1800s, and in his time, it was commonly believed amongst Christians that it was only the apostles of the Bible that were called to cross-cultural evangelism. But whenever William Carey looked at his Bible, he didn't see that in his Bible. He looked at the Great Commission and God's command on the life of every Christian to go and take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so he challenged this belief amongst the churches that he was a part of. And then he helped co-found one of the first evangelical mission societies with his friends. And one of their first acts in building this society was to take the gospel to India. And so one of his friends, Andrew Fuller, compared the idea of taking the gospel to India, like going and exploring a deep, unexplored mine, like you go to Mammoth Caves and you go to the deep, dark crevices of the cave, that you would go to that place to cast the light that the gospel is to this world in places that have never seen or heard of the light. And as William Carey responded to Andrew Fuller, he said, well, I will go down to those deep, dark crevices if you will hold the rope. 
And so many things are to be admired about this quote. There's deep courage, there's deep conviction that comes from this quote, but the one that I want to wrestle with this morning with you is the idea of partnership. So if you volunteer to be the one to hang from a rope as you go down to the deep, dark crevices of society, it means you must have a really strong partner who's going to hold the other end of the rope. Amen? Like you don't go down to the deep, dark crevices of a place that's unknown unless you have full confidence in the person that's going to hold the other side of the rope. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to put yourself in that situation and William Carey saying, hey, I'll go if you hold that other end of the rope. Now, here's the thing, all right? This idea of strong partnerships didn't just happen upon William Carey and his friends about this idea of taking the gospel to deep, the deep, dark crevices of our society. You actually see it from the very beginning and in the early workings of the church. And one of my favorite places that you can see it is the partnership between Paul and the Philippians. So this morning, as we read, we're going to be looking at Philippians 1, 1 through 11. And here's what Paul says about partnership in the very beginning verses of this, gospel, of, of this letter. He says in verses 3 through 5, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer, look, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so I want us to spend our time this morning exploring partnership, not just because of the partnership that you have with Storyline Church and that Storyline Church has with Ninth and O, but because this is God's vision for the capital C Church, gospel partnerships. If you were to try to go and find a healthy church in the New Testament that didn't express itself in healthy partnerships, gospel partnerships throughout the entire world, Here's the spoiler alert, you can't find one. And so that has implications for us and how we practice partnerships in getting the gospel to places today. And so here's what I want us to do. I just want us to explore two aspects of partnership that we see in Philippians 1, 1 through 11 this morning together. I want us to dream and I want us to visualize what partnership can look like and then we'll end with a couple of applications. Sound good? All right, so here's the first aspect of partnership that we see Paul address in our passage this morning. I'm going to reread verses 3 through 7 just so we can have a refresher, and then we'll dive in, and I'll help you see this first point. All right, so here's what it says. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So obviously we see that the Philippians are dear partners with Paul here in this passage, you see the word partner or partnership at least a couple of times here. But what you also see is great sacrifice for this partnership. You see this in a couple of ways. You see first, just out of their own financial gifts. Verse five says this, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's speaking about financial gifts. So if you look at Paul's ministry, 
He is one that is constantly denying financial partnerships with other churches because he wants no hindrance in getting the gospel to places in the way that they give of their own finances. He doesn't want that to be interspersed. But what, he see, what you see in Philippians at the very end, they are so unrelentless in wanting to send Paul financial gifts with him that they financially sacrifice in order to send resources with Paul as he goes and takes the gospel to needy places. You see also a sacrifice in their own personal security. You see this in verse seven. It says, partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. At this point in time in trusting Jesus, it's the same for us today too, um, they not only declared Jesus as savior, that he would save us, he would forgive us of our sin, but there's also a declaration of Jesus as Lord that Jesus is king, that you have full, unrelentless devotion to Jesus as the one who has all authority over your life. Now, here's the problem. This goes against the day and age of Caesar as both God and king. He deserves your worship, and he deserves your um, your, uh, he has authority over your, your life. He deserves your devotion. And if you don't give him that, then it's going to cost you your life. Now, here's a crazy thing. is So Paul is speaking about this in Philippi, and he's speaking about their devotion to the gospel. And it is one of the most devoted, prideful cities in Roman culture that you could find at that point in time. So if you were to try to get, if you're a entrepreneur and you're trying to get your goods throughout the Roman kingdom, you have to go through Philippi at some point. It's a strategic city for commerce, but it's also known as one of the settling places for many soldiers. So there was a battle that happened in the Roman empire where someone overtook a former Caesar. He took the rightful place of being Caesar and the warriors that were with him in that battle settled in Philippi. And so you see steep Roman culture throughout all the city of Philippi. You can see it in its architecture. You can see it in the worship and the gods that were developed there, but you can also see it in the pride, the personal pride that people had of being within the Roman empire. And so for you to be a Christian that denounces worship and devotion to Caesar in pursuit of Jesus as Lord and King of your life, not only is it dangerous, but it could cost you your life. So the question you have to ask is why? Why the sacrifice of your resources? For people that probably really didn't have a ton of money, they had shoestring budgets like most of you and me, but were willing to give sacrificially of their own personal resources, they're also willing to sacrifice their own personal safety and security. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons you could probably like find here in this passage, but one of them that has to be one of those is that they had to get the gospel out, which is our first point. Gospel partnership is all about getting the gospel out. And so if you were to go and look at the conversion stories, the very beginning stages of the church in Philippi in Acts 16, what you would find is, and you would see why they have to get the gospel out, all right? So Paul goes to Philippi, and you see Paul go to this lady, Lydia, who is a wealthy designer at that time, and he shares the gospel with her and her friends, and you see this dramatic 
relentless devotion to Jesus that takes place in Lydia's life. Invites Paul back to her house, wants her whole family to hear this good news. Then you see Paul is going along and there's this exploited, fortune-telling, demon-possessed slave girl that hears the gospel from Paul and gives her life to Jesus. She's saved. Then from there, you see Paul ends up in jail with Paul and Silas. Is Paul and Silas there? There's a jailer who becomes a Christian in very dramatic fashion through Paul and Silas's ministry, and you see another just dramatic conversion that takes place. This is the beginning of the stages of the church in Philippi. These insane stories of men and women who served dictators that demanded their lives in devotion to them, and then they hear Paul and Silas preach the gospel of this one living God who not didn't demand demotion from them and would exploit them, but was actually willing to lay down his life for them. And the response from them is, we have to get this gospel out. This good news that there is a God who so loves me, who so desires me, who is willing not to exploit me like every other authority in my life, but this ultimate authority who has spoken the world into existence, who has known me before anybody else in this world did, who thought me up, who brought me into this world, who in the midst of my sin was willing to speak into my life and save me and to come into my life and show me what beauty and love looks like. If he is willing to do this for me, I have to get the gospel out. And so it was willing, they were willing to give up any of their personal resources. They were willing to even lay down their own safety in order to partner with Paul to get this good news out. Now, here's the thing for us, is this is to be our response to. Here's how a lot of us think about our testimonies, all right? A lot of us, and this is me, this is my story, all right? I grew up in a pastor's family. I came to faith at eight years old. Look, there wasn't like this dramatic thing where it's like I'm being pulled out of like really gross relationships, that there's not substance abuse that's happening in my life. I'm not a part of a gang. Like I'm seven, you know? But here's what you see in Ephesians chapter 2. Death shows no partiality. And what Ephesians chapter 2 says is that every single one of us were dead because of sin. Every single one of us. You don't go to a morgue and you don't go see a, I don't know if this is a word, but a morgmatician. Is that a word? I don't know. But they don't go and take you like, look how dead this one is. Right? That doesn't happen. If you're dead, you're dead. Like, you're in a hospital room, the flat line on the screen shows like you're dead, six feet under. Take the pulse, there's no bloodstream that's going on, body's cold, you're flat out dead. What the Bible tells us is that's every single one of us that's in this room. We are dead because of sin in our life. Now here's the good news of Ephesians chapter two is that God has intervened in your life. He has sent this beautiful Savior, Jesus, fully God, fully man, who lived, died, and rose again on your behalf. And when we believe in him, he gives us grace that 
resurrects us. This Holy Spirit permeates into our life and regenerates us, restores us. We have right relationship with God. The beauty of Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus is alive. He's seated at the right hand of God, and he says, you're there with him. Jesus isn't going back into the grave. He's where nobody can touch him. You're there with him too, which means as fully alive as Jesus is, so are you right now. And so it doesn't matter if you're like a seven-year-old and you give your life to Christ and you're like, I don't know if I have that great of a story. That's, that's dumb. You're dead and now you're alive. And so what the Bible tells us is that just as those that are in Philippi in Acts 16 marvel at their life and their testimony that they have in Jesus, so do we. And what's our response? This gospel is too good to not go and share with somebody else. We have got to get this gospel out. And so here's my prayer for you as members of Ninth and O, for us at Storyline Church, that we would be as committed to partnering together in getting the gospel out as what the Philippians and Paul were committed to in getting the gospel out here in the letter of the Philippians. That as church members, you are so committed to making disciples of Louisville here together. Look, if there's been any hesitancy in you to get involved in any outreach events and taking the gospel to your coworker that is in the cubicle next to you, to your neighbor that is in the house next to you, any person that might be across the street, like if there has been any hesitancy in you, you should look and marvel at your testimony and say, I have to get this gospel out. No more. Am I hesitant in going and sharing the good news with who God has placed me providentially around? This gospel has get, got to get out, and we do it together. Like, there shouldn't just be this, like, pause of let's go plant one church, let's go plant two church, let's go plant three church. Like, we, it's the call of the church to get the gospel out. We go and we do it, but look, we do it together in partnership together. The Philippians and Paul are our example here. So this is the first thing, the aspect of gospel partnership is, look, when we are saved, God gives us a beautiful testimony. He brings us together as God's family, and we partner together to get the gospel out. We see the second one in verses 8 through 11. Let me read it again to refresh us, and then we'll dive in. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So those first verses in the first section that we read give us a glimpse of the Philippians' commitment to Paul. In this section, we, see, we get a glimpse of Paul's commitment to the Philippians. And above all else, Paul is devoted to praying for the Philippians, which we see in verse 9. I pray this, that your love will keep on growing. And as you keep reading, there's a sequence to Paul's prayer here that I think we have to understand for us to understand the second aspect of gospel partnership. So he prays 
that their love would keep on growing in knowledge and discernment. We see that in verse nine. Basically, Paul's saying, I want there to be this rich understanding and practice of the gospel in you. So essentially, he's saying, do the hard work of knowing your Bible. Do the hard work of getting into the scriptures because that's where the primary voice, where we hear the primary voice of God speak to us on a daily basis here. Paul's saying, I didn't come and bring you the gospel just so it can remain at the surface. There's a God who's alive and he's written a word that speaks to us today and do the rigorous work of getting into the scriptures so this living God can speak to you, can grow you up, and that the knowledge of the gospel doesn't stay in your head but begins to seep down into your heart. Then you see the second sequence that he that this would lead to approving the things that are superior and lead to purity and blameless life in you. We see that in verse 10. Because you grow in your understanding of the gospel and how to live out the gospel, you can choose the things that are really matter in this life, the things that God values and treasures and longs for us to follow him in pursuit of here in this life. When we get this thing to begin to seep down from our head to our heart, then we can see the vision that God has for our life and the things, the loud voice of this world begins to be drowned out by the growing loud voice of God in our life. My house, we have four boys in our house, nine and below. You know whose voice we listen to the most in our house? It's the one that's the loudest. (laughs) What Paul is trying to give us a vision here of is that as we get into the scriptures and we get to know this good and glorious and gracious God, that we give ourselves to him and his voice grows louder in our life as we get to know him through the Bible, the voice of this world begins to be drowned out and the voice of God begins to grow and grow and grow in our life and we catch a vision of the superior things in this life. But then he keeps going in the final sequence to growing in the understanding and the practice of the gospel is that you're filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is the Galatians chapter where you see the fruit of the spirit. This is what he's kind of shorthand giving us a picture of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of this against what our everyday life before Jesus was pursuing, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, so on and so forth. Paul is saying, look, essentially what he's saying is the second aspect of gospel partnership is not just getting the gospel out, but look, it's also getting the gospel down deep. That there's life change that happens inside of you. That this goodness of the gospel doesn't just remain in your head, but it seeps down into your heart and it changes your life. That the gospel takes the root in so deeply in your life that it changes your head, transforms your head. That's Romans chapter 12, right? It changes your heart, but it also changes your hands, the things that we are called to go and do. The gospel gets down deep inside of you. Now, here's the thing about getting the gospel deep down inside of you is you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. The picture that you get in the Bible 
of you growing in relationship with Jesus and your life transforming to the likeness of Jesus is not one where it's just you and Jesus isolated by yourself, but it actually happens in the context of community. We get this in Ephesians 4, 16, where Paul gives us a vision of what it looks like for us to grow into Christ-likeness as the body of believers. Here's what he says. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love. What love is this? It's a love that God has given us in Christ Jesus, the love that has transformed your whole entire life, the love that transforms the way that you view other people in this world, the love that views, that changes our view of a dying and lost world, that gives us a burden and a conviction for the lost, the love that changes our heart and changes our life, that we no longer want to live the way that we once lived, but now we want to live in what like Jesus looks like. This love, look, by the proper working of each individual part. Here's the good news for every single one of us. Not only has Christ intervened in your life, but he also gives you the Holy Spirit. And when God gives you the Holy Spirit, he also gives you gifts that are to be used for the building up of the body that God has called you, the local expression called the church. And every single one of us are to use these gifts and abilities to bring Christ out in other people. And here's what this looks like. It looks like dedication and commitment. Dedication and commitment, all right? You take yours, look, not just yours, but others walk with Jesus seriously. There's this um, former Christian thinker, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, who was envisioning what life together looks like, the body of believers together. And he, I feel like he gives us just this great picture of what Paul's trying to get at here in the second movement. He says, for you, one, to be receive the goodness and the growth of love from the body of believers, but also for you to contribute. It means that you have to take these two things seriously, your personal relationship as well as other people's relationship with Jesus. So this means that throughout the week, you take your devotion with Jesus really seriously. That you are sacrificing in your day for you to get away with Jesus, to get in his word, to pray for us to practice the disciplines that we see in the scriptures in our life, for us to grow into Christ's likeness, to hear the voice of God in our life. We do anything and everything we can in order to sacrifice, in order for us to get to be with Jesus so that we grow up into his likeness. But here's the thing, whenever you do this, God's gonna to speak to you and he's gonna tell you things about your life and when you come into the body of believers, whether it be your best friend groups or Bible fellowship group, all right? Um, that's my way of saying it, best friend groups. Um, so like whenever you get into your BFGs, like not are you to come in and just remain quiet, but you come in and you share and you speak the things that God has spoken into your life because here's what we see, all right? The Holy Spirit works in our life. He's going to speak to you and we are needy and needed which means other people need to hear from you what God's doing in your life because it may be the way that God has ordained for them to hear this truth through you. And as you come, you also come needy. That as you are bringing what God is speaking to you in your personal relationship with him, you also need to hear what God is speaking from other people. 
You come needy. I need the truth. I need people that know my life and they know my struggles, they know my weaknesses, they can call me out on my sin with kindness and gentleness and graciousness, but ultimately for my good so that I may look more like Jesus himself. Here's the thing, you can't know everything about you. The only way for you to know what's going on in your life is to have people that know you, that there's transparency, there's genuineness in your life, that people can speak in and see the faults in your life so they can point you to Jesus. In essence, you need gospel partnerships so that the gospel can get deep down inside of you. And so look, here's the expectation that you show up, that you come ready, that you're consistent. Look, some of us need to snap out of the COVID plans that we had where we, our participation in church looks like coming twice a month. You need to come every Sunday. You need to show up. You need to be ready. Like it's for the best for your soul that you come and that you're here and you're seated under the preaching of God's word, that you're placing yourself in strategic relationships where you can be known and people can speak into your life because you need it. It takes gospel partnership to get the gospel deep down, which is what we see in Philippians chapter one. So here's what I want us to do with, all right? Like, let's move to application. There's a couple of things I want us to walk away with. If you're wrestling with the question, okay, well, getting the gospel out, getting the gospel down deep, what does it look like? Where do we start? Well, here's here's where I believe it starts. Number one, though you fall endlessly in love with the gospel. For us to get the gospel out and to get the gospel down deep, it doesn't require us finding the silver bullet when it comes to discipleship curriculum. It's good, it's a good tool. It doesn't require that we find the silver bullet in getting the, like, the evangelism strategy and get evangelism strategy and getting the gospel out. That's not the silver bullet. The silver bullet is that you fall head over heels in love with Jesus and the gospel and what's taking place in your life. A French poet puts it like this. If you want to convince men to build ships, don't pass out shipbuilding manuals. Don't organize them into labor groups and hand out wood. Teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Essentially what he's saying is like, it does, like you want people to get the gospel out and to get the gospel down deep. It's not that you find the right discipleship curriculum. It's not that you find the right evangelism strategy. It's that they fall so deeply in love with Jesus that they catch a new vision for what life in this world looks like. That this gospel changes everything about you. That it's the single vision point for your whole entire life. So look, the gospel is not just the, there's, J.D. Greer puts it like this, the gospel is not just the diving board, it's the pool. 
The gospel is not just the thing that you dive in and this is what relation, gets you into relationship with God. It's the swimming pool that we live in this whole entire life. You never move beyond the gospel. Is this, if you're going to take like the mammoth caves or like this idea of the deep, dark crevices of society, um, you can also use the example of a cave of like the endless well that is the gospel. You can't go down deep enough and explore it and extract the goodness of the gospel and then come out and be like, I hit the end. It's a deep, endless well that we get to swim in for the rest of our life. And so you want to get the gospel out, you want to get the gospel down deep, you fall endlessly in love with Jesus. So you memorize it, you read books about it, you sing songs with lyrics of the good news, you make it the topic of your conversation at your dinner table, you pray it, you saturate yourself with this message in your relationships. And when we do, when this becomes the center of our partnership, we'll get it out and we'll get it down deep. Then secondly, next step, is that you invest your life to the mission of the gospel. So look, this isn't just a ninth and no thing, It's not just because it's a core value of your church. It's not just because, it's not just like a storyline thing where we've seen six families that moved, sold their homes, moved and transitioned their lives to a new city just for the advancement of the kingdom of the gospel in St. Louis. It's a big C church thing. Getting the gospel out and getting the gospel down deep is the very mission of every church. You can't look at Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 and Acts chapter 1 where we get the Great Commission and say that there is any other bigger vision and mission for the church than getting the gospel out and getting the gospel down deep. It is the mission of the church. C.S. Lewis puts it like this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ and then to make them little Christ. So you see there both mission and deep down gospel growing discipleship. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. Look, every single one of us here, if you have a pulse in this room, Every single one of us are looking for something that we can go and be a part of that's bigger than ourselves. This is why we do parades. This is why we follow bands. This is why some of us get immersed in politics. All of these different things because we want to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Look, if you want to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself, that will last the test of time and will expand through all eternity, it's the mission of the church. There's nothing absolutely nothing that you could give your life to that would be more valuable and worth your life than the advancement of the gospel through the local church. And so invest your life in it. Your sacrifice, your resources, sacrifice your safety and security. Look, we have this theme of hold the rope and ninth and no is great. I mean, you see all, all the tables at the end. You're a church that holds one end of the rope. But there may be the work of the Holy Spirit in some of you today that God's calling you to work your way down towards the other end of the rope. The church is holding their end. It's a strong partnership. But God may be placing a call in your life to go towards that end of the rope that you're going down into the dark crevices of society to take the gospel out where it has not gone yet. Invest your life in it, y'all. It's worth it. Oh my goodness. You can come to lunch with me here in a little bit and I can tell you all the hardships. I can, all right? I've got plenty of stories to share you. 
but I can also tell you how worth it it is. Jesus is worth it. There's a work that God has done in my life that it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't taken the other end of the rope. And God may be calling you because he wants both the gospel to get out in you, through you, but also for the gospel to get down deep inside of you because he wants you to hold the other end of the rope. And so invest your life in it. So we started with this idea of partnership from this hold the rope theme. One of my favorite books um, talks about this theme of partnership too, and we'll wrap up here, all right? So the book is called The Boys in the Boat. It's written by Daniel James Brown, and it's about this American rowing team that won the gold medal in the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. And it chronicles the stories of these nine different guys that were on this rowing team. And here's the thing about them. None of them are spectacular, all right? It's like a group of lumberjacks and farmers that come together and you see this work that happens through them that ultimately leads to them winning the gold medal. And it's just this demonstration of the, like great determination and how they overcome odds to win this gold medal. And it's just remarkable stories, but I love the way that the author summarizes the whole of their story at the very end of the book. He writes this, perhaps the seeds of redemption lay not just in perseverance, hard work and rugged individualism, which is what our world thinks, right? You work really hard, you have great gifts, you leverage those, individualism, you can accomplish great things. But he says, perhaps they lay in something more fundamental, the simple notion of everyone pitching in and pulling together. In essence, he's saying there's partnership. We might be able to accomplish some things individually. Some of you are like, God has given you extraordinary gifts. Some of you, he's given you great resources. And there might be some great things or some, like there might be good things that you're able to accomplish on your own. But God accomplishes his mission, these ideas of the seeds of redemption in Daniel James Brown's words, through partnership. So look, here's my encouragement to you, all right? Nothing know is a church that holds the end of the rope. You're doing a good job. You are. In some ways, like, keep doing it. Keep doing what you're doing. You are a gift to seeing the gospel get out and get down deep. But some of you, that next step might be signing up for one of the trips that's going to be happening in the next year. For some of you, it might be taking steps towards helping bless and take the gospel to this community. Um, I know that you all do a number of outreach events, like go get a part of it, be a part of it. It might be your next step, go get in a Bible fellowship group so you can help get the gospel down deep in other people. But some of you, you need to work your way down the rope. Say, if you'll hold the rope, I will go. Have a soft heart. Have a discerning heart to understand if that's God's call on you to go. Gospel partnership is getting the gospel out. It's also getting the gospel down deep. And it requires us to work together. Let's keep doing it. Let's pray. Father, it's an absolute privilege that you call us to be a part of the work that you're doing here in this world that you not only come into our life and you save us, you redeem us, 
but then you actually use us for the advancement of the work of your kingdom here in this world. And what we see in the Bible is that this kingdom is like a mustard seed that starts small, but then it overwhelms all the other trees in the garden. And that's the example of the kingdom. It may start off small, but there is no advancement that can happen against your gospel that's going to overcome it. Ultimately, it's going to overtake this whole entire world. And we get to be a part of not only the end result, but also the process. You bring us along and we get to be a part of the process. What a gift, God. And so as we see what partnership looks like, gospel partnership in Philippians chapter one, help us play our part that we get the gospel out. And that we get the gospel down deep, that we fall head over heels in love with Jesus and the work, the great news that the kingdom has come and we want to be a part of it. We do everything we can to make that the ultimate vision and reality of our life and then we invest our life to it. This is all a work of your spirit. And so we pray, spirit, that you come and that you work in us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.